Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by World of Spas, Edmonton's number one hot tub and swim spa dealer. The ideal place to start your daily vacation on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. It is Brendan Escott and Cam Moon with you here on this Wednesday. We've reached the middle of the week. We've got Oilers news that we're talking about. A new director of amateur scouting, Rick Pracy, taking over for Tyler Wright, who has mutually agreed to part ways with the club. And of course, we've got Evan Bouchard, who is all but re-signed, reported both by Frank Saravalli on yesterday's edition of the show, and then uh, Elliot Friedman on Twitter this morning. Two years, $3.9 million dollars is I think what we all expected basically leading in. It's about the money they had left. It's kind of what they were um, assuming would be left after the Ryan McLeod uh, RFA negotiations. And, And so here we are. And to talk about all of this, we will be joined in a moment by Hart Levine, our salary cap expert. Thank goodness we have his services, as Cam and I were joking, because the numbers don't always add up in my head. But uh, you are listening to Oilers Now, brought to you, as always, by World of Spas. If you're aching after a long day, World of Spas offers you tubs designed with uh, your relief in mind. Rest, recover, relax with World of Spas, Alberta's number one swim spa dealer. Visit worldofspas.com. Pretty relaxing down in California. California, maybe not these days. There's like rainfall, and they don't usually get that down there. I guess we'll start as we welcome aboard Hart Levine, our headliner today for Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's the best you've ever tasted. Search for W I L H A U K today. We'll start Hart by asking you how you doing. Everything okay in your neck of the woods? Yeah, we were pretty fortunate where we were actually got rocked more by the earthquakes than the than the rain. Right. Yeah, pretty good. Good. Happy to hear it and uh, happy to have you on the show today for the fact that I guess we'll talk about it as though it's it's happened at two times 3.9. You've got Elliot talking about it. you got Frank talking about it. So that's as good as gospel for me. This is pretty much what you foresaw on the deal for Evan Bouchard. Uh, well, I guess the question is when, as of when. I mean, after Byram and Keandre Miller signed, I figured it was, you know, between three point call it three point seven five and and yeah maybe four. Um, this is this makes a lot of sense. Bouchard has similar points per game as those players, but the one difference is he played um, quite a bit less uh, in minutes per game, which does matter for defense. When he played eighteen and a half minutes per game, both those guys played twenty two minutes per game. So in an arbitration case, you know, there's an argument he should be below them, um, and and they were at 3.85. But he did have two seasons of of 40 points and has more career games. So I guess that's maybe a trade-off, and it makes sense that he's kind of right in that 3.8 to 3.9 range. But I would say that if you ask the Oilers 
um, like at the draft, what they thought Bouchard would sign for. I I think that they would have expected it to be lower because prior to those guys, the only real comparable for a player with that kind of production signing a bridge deal uh, was Noah Dobson, and he signed for three years at $4 million off a 50-point season. So it's one less year, so one less year that potentially has arbitration, and he only had 40 points versus 50 points. You could see why the Oilers probably figured they were going to be kind of in the mid-threes on a two-year deal. So it's all a matter of timing. Hart, with this deal, if it is 3.9, and let's, for the sake of it, argument, it is, say it that is, it is. 3.9. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh, what... What does this mean for the Oilers as far as uh, the cap? Like, does this put them right to it and 21 players, or, or what's the fallout here? Yeah, so that means they're definitely locked into 21 players maximum. They they cannot – there's no possible combination. I mean, unless, I guess, they were sending big cap hit guys down to the minors. But let's no realistic way that they're going to have more than 21 players. Um, so that means that that's basically 12 forwards and 7D. And if your 12th forward, if you have Lane Peterson as your 12th forward, then or someone else making 775 uh, like he does, you have, they have 382,500 of cap space um, available. So what could they do with that cap space? They, that's not enough to add like an additional player, but you could potentially sign a player that's like a $1.1 million player for your 12th forward and send Peterson down. So you could spend an extra 380 on that. 12th forward instead of Peterson on top of his 775. So that's one option or, or not, maybe don't spend all of it, but maybe they now want to, maybe there's a guy they can sign for 900,000 or a million that could be the 12th forward instead of Peterson. So that's an option. Or they could go with that roster with Peterson as the 12th forward or potentially Lavoie, I guess, instead of Peterson, but one or the other. Um, and accrue some cap space. And hopefully that they hope they don't run into injuries where they would need additional players because that that would get in the way, but because finally they're not in LTIR, they would be under the cap. They could accrue space during the year. And generally the way it works is like by the trade deadline, you only have roughly about 40 days out of 185 or 186 day season remaining. And so that if you just kind of do some math with the, with the fractions, if you, if you paid attention and when you, when you learn that in high school math, um, you could basically 382,000 of cap space um, at the deadline you could fit a player with about a $1.7 million cap hit onto the roster. So that would be an option if they just went with this roster, um, you know, no injuries, no changes all season. When they got to the trade deadline, they could add someone with $1.7 million um, annual cap hit. So that, that's an option as well. So they could add, spend a little bit more on the 12th forward now, or they could try and save some cap space and accrue it for the deadline. The accruing of that space, is that only if you don't go into LTIR any time from the start till till the trade deadline? Correct. Once you go into LTIR, there's no more accruing. Okay. So they could, they could accrue space for, like, say, a month, and then they have some injuries, and maybe they do have to go into LTIR. They stop accruing at that point, and then if they could get out of LTIR, um, by the deadline, they would still have that space that they accrued for like before they entered it. But you really need like a long, long period to accrue to build up, you know, space that you can really do something with. So, for the most part, if they end up in an injury situation where they have to go in LTIR, um, even if they could get back out of it by the deadline, you, they probably chewed up most of their ability to kind of build some cap space. It's still better than. Um, being in LTIR at the deadline, like if remember last deadline, it was really dollar in, dollar out, right? As long as they're not in that situation um, at the deadline, as long as they're not in LTIR at the deadline, 
yeah, anyone that they're they're fitting on to the or they're adding, they only need to be able to fit them for say forty out of one hundred eighty five days worth of their annual salary. So it's it's not one hundred percent of someone's salary. So it's definitely a much better situation than before, even if they don't have any space kind of going into the deadline. They, they could still do more at the deadline by not being an LTR team. Chatting with uh, Hart Levine from Puckpedia, the dollars and cents expert here on Oilers Now. Got a question from Jay on the text line, just looking for clarification. If Clefbaum and Smith are off the roster for sure, which it looks to me like they, they are, and uh, what yeah. do we have for guys uh, or injuries that could affect the Oilers cap? And t- Hart, going into this season, the answer is nobody right now. Exactly. They, those, those, their player, um, Clefbaum and Mike Smith, their contracts are done, so they're off the books. So as of now, for all we know, there's no injured players. Um, if they got an injury, again, that would change things. If they had an injured, like one of the players we're projecting on the roster, if one of those players got injured, just one, again, that wouldn't change the cap situation because we have them with one extra player, right, one extra forward. But let's say that two guys got injured in training camp, two of these regulars, now, now that changes things. Like they, they can't call up another player. So the question is, like, what do they do? Do they Can one of those guys go on LTA or do they have to start the season short like they did last year when they started with a 20-man roster, right? So it does definitely change things. Another complicating issue would be if someone, and I don't want to put anyone to sleep, but if someone that is on a two-way contract that played some games in the NHL last year got injured in training camp, um, so like let's say a Nima Linen, for example, they would actually be stuck with a prorated um, in, called season opening injured cap hit for him um, that's based on how much time he spent on the roster last year. So that would really throw a wrench into their plan. So <laughs> so if someone that's never been in the NHL gets hurt in training camp, that's okay. There's no cap in for that. But someone that was kind of like a tweener last year, um, if they got injured, even like a uh, that's on a one-way or sorry, two-way deal, like that, that again, sort of throw a wrench into it. So that, that's the whole thing where like you can plan for everything and ultimately you get to throw in a curveball and you have to react. So, Do you think that we'll see the return of the middle class of the NHL when the salary cap opens up? I mean, I, I think it's crazy that teams are sort of uh, circumventing or, or I guess find the, the way that they're negotiating the flat cap is just by playing with a man or two less on their roster, which is wild. I, I don't think that that's the spirit of, of why they have the salary cap in place, certainly. And it will go up and it will change. Um, I, I wonder what you think about that because it's it seems to me that there's there's only really room for either young guys, very young guys on that minimal contract, of course, or now even a younger class of veteran players that are having to play on PTOs or come kick the can with an organization on and hope that they can find their way as a tweener or a fourth liner. I, I agree. I, I think that middle class has been pretty well eliminated, especially from like forwards, scoring forwards. Um, I usually tweet this during the season, and, and so I can't remember the exact numbers, but over the last few years, I usually tweet like of the top 50 scoring leaders, there's usually only like a handful, like two, three that are kind of between a two and five, six million dollar cap hit. All the scoring leaders are either guys like the big cap hits, like six million plus, or you get a few like entry level deal guys. Um, but there's there's not scoring forward that you can find in that price range. Um, I I think that's only going to continue because as the cap goes up, 
these top end players, they're the ones that have really had the kind of been limited over the last few years. And we're going to see with some of these players that need extensions, like, you know, Austin Matthews, for example, he's going to sign, that's going to pull up other contracts, right? Um, the, the guys in, in Calgary, Lindholm, for example, so all those players are going to get bigger contracts than they got. They would have had maybe two seasons ago. I think that's going to chew up most of the increase in, in the cap. Um, also, we're going to have continue to have more performance bonus overages because teams are so tight to the cap. So that means um, teams that use LTIR and have players and bonuses are are going to incur the overage um, or just we're tight to the cap. And that's also going to chew up a lot of the cap increase. So most of the cap increase to me is going to be used up by the high-end guys and potentially from um, teams that had bonus overages. And again, that's going to leave kind of everyone else stuck at around the league minimum amount. Um, so... Yeah, I, I, I don't think we're going to see the middle class come back, especially in the forward range. I mean, we do see defensemen. We're like, I don't know if you call it middle class, but we're seeing like bottom pairing defensemen now or kind of in that, you know, $3 million range. Um, like there's, you know, like look at the way they have CC and Kulak at, at 2.75 and 3.25. But I think for forwards, there's very few that you see that are kind of million and a half to – Five million. That that just doesn't really exist, and I don't see that coming back. The uh, hearts with Connor Brown's contract, the way it's structured. I'm glad you brought up the bonus overages. If they have cap room remaining at the end of this year, they can tack part of the bonus overage instead of next year. They can sort of take it on this year, theoretically, if they had some cap room to deal with that. So not all three million dollars of that bonus is going on to next year's cap. Is that correct? Exactly. That's 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 how the calculation works. So the teams you get the you get their final end of year cap number from the actual cap of the players. You add on all the bonuses that were earned, and then you deduct the the salary cap. So in this case, eighty three and a half, and whatever is left, that's the overage. So when a team's an LTIR, by definition, they're over the cap, right? So then that means any bonus earned is automatically going to be an overage. But let's say the Oilers finished with two hundred thousand of cap space and he earns his full 3.225 million of bonus over or a bonus the overage is only going to be that difference so yes any cap space that they have left at the end of the year will kind of reduce how much of a potential overage from connor brown and connor brown's contract don't forget he earns the entire 3.225 million once he hits 10 games so i mean assuming you know nothing crazy happens like happened to him last year like they're they're facing at most 3.225 and then you got to say whatever cap space um you know they finish the end of the year with it's going to come out of that but considering they're probably going to add at the deadline i mean i know i i wouldn't be optimistic that they're going to have like less than a three million dollar um overage next year yeah oh baby <laughs> wow. so there's there goes the whole cap increase for them right like yeah from yeah 83 and a half to let's say 88 like well it's pretty much all gone now from from Connor Brown, right? I mean, even a guy like Broberg, I mean, who knows, but if he's he has bonuses and he's still on his entry-level deal, like if he finishes, um, you know, for defenseman with a good plus-minus or he gets a lot of minutes, maybe there's injuries, or even like you know, if he finishes, a, you get a, he could get a bonus for finishing the top two and block shots among defensemen, that could be another couple hundred thousand or more um, in bonuses for Broberg. So, it, it, yeah, it can happen quickly. <laughs> Doesn't that really put the emphasis on having significant contributions from people that are on uh, ECLs? 
Yeah, I mean, I think that the Seller Cup world, it's not just like how how good is a player? What do they produce? It's how good are they and what do they produce relative to their cap hit, right? So the expectation of a player like uh, a Broberg or even like a Kulak is much different than a nurse or, you know, like a, a hymen or getting up to like a dry saddle, right? It's all relative. So, yeah, players have to basically produce at least what what you would expect for their contract or more. Um, and so you can have very good players that are seen as like, uh, you know, like dogs are hard to move be- just because they're paid too much and vice versa. Like there's a, a player in Chicago, Taylor Radish is a perfectly decent NHL player, but he's been in the rumor mill the last couple of seasons because he's got a cap at under 800,000 and he's, you know, probably is worth a couple million, right? So if he was paid, Two, three, four million. I don't think he'd be in the rumor mill, but because he's on such a cheap deal relative to production, he's you know off, he's often seen as a hot commodity. One last question for me as we wrap up here with Puckpedia's Hart Levine, the dollars and cents making a little more sense to me now uh, over the last yes. 20 minutes or so. I really appreciate that. Uh, another big contract, or I, I say big, but it's really a middle-of-the-road contract signed by Tampa Bay once again with a player who just contributes. Brandon Hagel, they go out, and, and at the time, the, the acquisition costs, I think, seemed high to some, and then he puts up 64 points last year on a 30-goal season. Uh, what did you think? of the contract that was doled out yeah i mean i think that it seems yeah there's maybe a little sticker shock for people that don't look at it closely um and even for me like i didn't realize he at first that he was you know 30 and 60 last year but i i really like what tampa's doing they're they basically locked up most of their players um at like yesterday's prices right like all these players contracts were Reasonable, maybe they felt a little high when the seller cap was eighty one and a half, eighty two and a half, eighty three and a half million. But the majority of those players' contracts are gonna be in an environment when the cap is eighty eight, ninety, ninety five. Some of these players are gonna have these deals when the cap is probably a hundred million. So like I think that's really smart. It means that if some of these players fall off or it's not a, a good bet, uh, just like a stock portfolio, they can afford to have some losers because as a percentage of the cap, like uh, six and a half, of, you know, some of those defensemen or like, or this one, six and a half million, when the cap is 90 or 95, it's not, that's not going to feel super onerous to potentially try and, and move or because these players aren't going to ever be worth zero. They might just not be worth like a hundred percent of their cap hit. Right. But as a percentage of the cap, it's not going to be that much. And what tap is doing, like they, they're always tight to the cap, but they're going to have these players that, their market value is likely going to be a lot higher in a much higher cap environment. And the Oilers are sort of in that boat with a couple players, not as for as many years, but you look at like a Dreisaitl and McDavid and Hyman and Nugent Hopkins and Kane and Nurse. Again, those players are signed for many more years when they, and, the cap, and they were signed when the cap was lower and they're going to have those contracts when the cap is higher. If you look at a team like Toronto, though, they have the complete opposite approach. They basically have like nobody under contract after the next year, or especially the next two years. So that gives them a lot of flexibility, which is a nice thing to have in a cap environment. But it also means that basically, they're in two years, their entire roster is going to be signed when the cap is eighty-eight or ninety or ninety-two million dollars. So they're going to be paying like 
kind of retail prices, right? Where if you look at like Tampa signing these guys when they did, they're kind of paying like hotel, uh, wholesale prices, right? Like they got a discount um, because they locked in early. So it's a really interesting and I think a smart strategy it, if when you got a core that you like. And I don't think to all those players that they signed to those deals have to work out. I, just like, like I said, a stock portfolio, even if most work out and a couple don't, I think they can afford a couple misses because they'll have some real big values. Um, with some of those guys, like a Sergachev or a Chernak, potentially, or or Hegel. Arts, oops. Hello, Arts. Really appreciate the time today, my friend. Thank you for jumping on with us and explaining all that. Really resonated with the listeners. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Hart Levine, we'll get him on again soon. I always have to when there's a new contract signed, some things that need explaining. He's the right man to talk to. You can find his work, a beautiful website. He's got puckpedia.com. You're listening to Oilers Now, where some gifts, guests receive gift certificates to Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, the greatest steak you have ever had. Follow the sizzle to 9990 Jasper Avenue. Tell Chris and Chef Altoff that Oilers Now sent you. Brendan and Cam, back in a moment. Subscribe to the Oilers Now podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you find your podcasts. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer on 630 Chad. 780-496-0063. Great conversation there with Hart Levine. Asked you a little bit before that, and, and we'll get into this conversation here after the 1 o'clock news, but a listener says that the Oilers are, for being in essentially the same salary cap position, they're not a better team than they were last year. So I wonder whether you agree with that texter or you disagree with them and why. Why do you think they are better or why do you think they um, you know, weren't able to improve? Maybe you're hung up on the losses of Yamamoto and Costin and, and even Nick Bukestad. There's some textures on here that are saying these are the guys that really helped last year and in certain moments, absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, again, remember, those are the types of players that were added over the course of last year, not Yamamoto, of course, but certainly Costin and Bukestad were. So you wonder, after hearing what Hart says about potential salary cap space closer to the trade deadline, you wonder what they're going to do, because they're going to do something to add this year. It's just a matter of what, and we probably don't have a clear, they don't have a clear idea yet of the priority. Does it need to be another defenseman, or do you need some other element uh, on the wing, for example? Oh yeah, that's what the the preseason and the start of the season will dictate uh, to some, you. Some things need to play out first, man. We're not all that sure right now, and, and when they are, I, I trust that they're installing the types of minds that that we can have faith in these decisions. I mean, they've made it, and and I know I know we keep harping on this, especially on this show, but the last two years losing out to the eventual Stanley Cup champion, I mean, I was just watching the, uh, the Detroit Red Wings and Colorado Avalanche, and they were talking through that mid-90s series in their rivalry that they had there. Like, it means something when you're right there. It means something when you know that the series you're in in the Western Conference Final is really the series for the Stanley Cup. So I don't think it's lost on the club or the players how close they really are. But there's some people here at 780-496-0063 that disagree. They say this club's not as close to a Stanley Cup heading into 2023-24. If you're one of those people, would love to hear from you. Float us a call. We'll open up the phone line, the hotline for 
River Cree Resort and Casino. And yeah, the text line is always rolling. So lots of opinions to come there. We will step out. Randy Kilburn has the global news headlines. We come back. We're turning the airwaves over to you.